0: Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Um, I want to just start off by saying thank you to, um, we don't see them a lot because they're up in the balcony, but, but a lot of our computer people and all the, the whole Imley clan and Steve, a lot of them are gone this week. Uh, and so um, we've got some fill-ins up there this morning. Uh, but I just want to recognize the people who work up there every week, Rob and now Nick's filling in this morning, Then the Imleys are on vacation, and Steve's on vacation, and I think sometimes we take for granted what people do on a Sunday morning to make things happen, so um, y- y'all recognize when I'm gone, right, because I'm up front here, and, and some of you are saying, really, you've been gone a couple? We didn't even notice, uh, but uh, you don't notice when they're gone, and so uh, let's just praise God for all our people who volunteer, and I appreciate them so much filling in uh we're going to be in romans chapter 8 today before we get to that you can go ahead and turn there but before we get into it i want to share a story with you about a a young girl who she's five years old she was talking with her mother one day and her mother explained to her five-year-old daughter that if she continued to disobey her she'd have to live with the consequences and the little girl said oh mommy please don't make me live with the consequences i want to live with you and and i think that sometimes we get that way sometimes we think that if we mess up that that somehow god's going to like not want us in his family anymore and i love the book of romans because Uh, It it talks so much about the grace of God and just how wonderful God is and how he pours out his mercy on us You might remember last Sunday we started a series on the book of Romans We got through about six and a half seven chapters of the book of Romans and we hit pause button for a while We're going to pick that back up this morning in Romans chapter 8 and the rest of summer We're going to be dealing uh, with Romans We had several people last year uh, who said I I wish you'd kept going with that It's one of my favorite books So uh, we heard you and we're going to dive. Dive right back in and finish out the book uh, this summer. So, uh, go to chapter 8. Actually, before you get to 8, let's back up to chapter 7 a little bit. Because here's the deal. Here's something that we don't think about um, very often. And I've said this before. But when Paul was writing his letter to the Romans, he wasn't like sitting there writing it all out. and like at the top of it, like he didn't write like chapter 7, and then chapter 7 was over, and then he wrote, okay, now I'll start chapter 8. This is all one continuous thought that Paul is writing to the church at Rome. We put those numbers in, well, we didn't, but our forefathers did years ago to help us identify different parts of scripture so we can find things better but uh, Romans chapter 7 I want to start with the end of that beginning in verse 14 here's what Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he says this he says so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good the trouble is with me for I am all too human a slave to sin I don't really understand myself for what I want to do, uh, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that I'm what I'm doing is wrong, this shows me that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He says, I've discovered this principle in my life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Man, what a predicament the Apostle Paul is in. And when I read this, this gives me a lot of hope because I'm thinking, I've been there. Has anybody ever been there before? I want to do the right thing, but I can't. For some reason, I just don't do the right thing. And I don't want to do the wrong thing, but for some reason, I keep doing the wrong thing. And then I think if the Apostle Paul struggled with this same issue, this guy that we, uh, I don't want to say idolize because that's wrong, but but certainly one of the forefathers of our faith, one of the guys who helped shape New Testament Christianity is struggling with this issue, that makes me feel like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not as messed up as I thought I was, right? I've been there. I know you have been too. We all have periods in our lives where we're battling the flesh, and we give in to the flesh, and then we're forced to deal with the consequences of those poor decisions that we have made, and we're like that five-year-old in the opening story We have to live with the consequences of our sins. But I think what we do sometimes as Christians is this we mess up, we feel guilty, we feel like we're no longer welcome in the presence of our Father. And when we hear that we have to live with the consequences, we often feel like, well, we're not welcome to live with the church anymore. We're not welcome to live with the Father anymore. I don't belong in the presence of other believers, because I've blown it so often. And then Satan, he gets in there, he starts to he gets that bony little finger. He ever done that with you? He gets that little bony finger in our lives, and he tries to get us to believe that we've blown it. We've messed up. God doesn't love us anymore. We're living with the consequences, therefore we're not living with God. We feel like the Holy Spirit has left us, maybe. And we feel like God doesn't love us anymore. But listen to these wonderful words from Romans chapter 8. In this time of year, when we talk about freedom so much, and we should, I love uh, the freedom that we have in this country, but this, this is real freedom. Even if our freedoms in this country were to go away tomorrow, I pray that they never do. But if they do... This is where true freedom comes from. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I just read all that stuff in chapter 7 about everything that Paul is dealing with, right? What a wretched person he is. What a predicament that he's in. And then verse 8, he says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. We're free. We're not condemned anymore if we know Jesus. We are not condemned because of our sin anymore. And verse 2, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, he's talking about Jesus, of course, in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so the judgment of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. I want you to hear me on this this morning, church. We are free from the bondage of sin. No matter what you've done in your past, no matter how awful it is, no matter how many times you've done it, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are free from the bondage of sin. But hear me on this as well. That doesn't give you the right to go out and live like you want to live and just say, oh, I'm free. I'm not condemned anymore. God has saved me. I'll go do what I want. That's not what Paul is saying here. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, a couple chapters earlier, verse 2, he says, shall we continue to sin? Heaven forbid. No, by all means. Here's the deal. We should want to do better. We need to do better. God has instructed us to be holy because he is holy. But sometimes... Those same old sins just continue to creep in. Can anybody relate to that this morning? You thought you had it conquered and then it just kind of sneaks up on you and that same old stuff just kind of pops in sometimes. Here's what I want to do for the remainder of our time this morning. I want us to look at, because we all love that part. We all love that there's no condemnation. We love that being free, but sometimes we fail to look at how we can do better. Right. How we might do a better job of defeating the sin that is in our lives. If we truly love God, like we say we love God, we should want to do better. Right. I don't want us to see what we might be able to get by with. Right. I want us to see how much closer to holiness we can come on a regular Basis. I get this question asked sometimes when I used to do church camp or when I was in youth ministry, especially from our young people, especially when it came to dating and relationships. Well, what, what can I get by with? <laughs> right? And adults aren't any better sometimes. We like to walk as close to the edge as we possibly can. Don't even go close to the edge. Don't even go close to the darkness. Instead of seeing what we can get by with, let's see how holy we can become. This reminds me of a story about a young soldier, his commanding officer. They get on a train together in Europe. It was during World War II. There's only two available seats on the train car that they were getting in, and they were across from a young, attractive lady who was traveling with her grandmother. As the four engaged in conversation, the soldier and the young attractive lady, they just kept looking at one another, and you could tell that there was a mutual attraction there. Suddenly, the train goes into a tunnel. It sends the the train car into complete darkness, and while they were in complete darkness, immediately two sounds were heard. The smack of a kiss, followed by the slap of something, (laughs) And as the four came back into the light, the grandmother is sitting there and she's thinking, I can't believe he kissed my granddaughter, but I'm glad she had enough courage to slap him. He deserved it. The commanding officer is sitting there and he thinks, I don't blame the boy for kissing the girl, but I wish her aim would be better when she went to slap him because she slapped me in the face. And the young girl thought, I'm so glad he kissed me, but I wish my grandmother hadn't slapped him for doing it. And the young soldier just sit back in his seat and said, "Wow, I can't believe I got to kiss such a beautiful girl and slap my commanding officer right in the face and not have to deal with the consequences." <laughs> now here's the deal. Sometimes we think we're getting by with stuff in the dark. And it is. It's easier to get by with certain things in the dark. That's why the Bible tells us in John 3.19 that many people love the dark because of their evil ways. But we've got to stop living in the dark. We're children of the light. We've got to stop hiding our sin. And we need to rest in the love and the forgiveness that is available through Jesus Christ and then stop doing that sin. Romans 8 is God's direction for us on how to be free from that sin. Yes, at the very beginning, it says there's no condemnation, but you don't have to stay there. Here's how you can be free. So that's what I want to do. I want us to see how we can become free from the sin that's in our lives. And here's the first thing that we do. Don't let your old habits run your life anymore. Stop it. Look at what verse 4 says again. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And I think this is what it boils down to. I think for most of us, we are control freaks. We don't want to surrender control of our lives to anyone or anything, especially someone that we can't physically see. But in order to conquer the sin that's in our lives, we've got to trust God. We've got to hand over the reins of our lives to Him if we truly want to live this life of freedom that He is offering. And then when we notice we're starting to fall back into some of those same old patterns, right? Some of those old routines that we thought we had stopped doing but then we, we find ourselves continuing to do them. That's when we need to stop for a moment. We need to quiet ourselves. We need to listen for the voice of God through his Holy Spirit. Get into his word. Start reading his word. And, and, and that's how I think he most often works. I mean, he might speak to you audibly. He's never spoken to me audibly. Either that or I, I do like I do at home sometimes. I'm just not listening. <laughs> can I get an amen to that? Some of you can relate. But here's the deal. Um. Our flesh doesn't like it when we quiet down and when we stop and we listen for God and we get into his word. Our flesh doesn't like that. And so um, we start making excuses for why we can't do that. We don't have time to do that. I don't have time to stop and read and pray. I've got way too much to do. And I know Bill Hybels has gotten himself in trouble over the last several years and rightfully so for some of the things that he did. But he did write a book that was very good called too busy not to pray right i I know we have hectic schedules and i know we've got a lot going on in our lives but in all honesty as a christian how can we be so busy that we don't want to take time to pray i'm not sure where i heard this but someone said this once and i agree with it hundred percent busy is a choice therefore it's not an excuse let me repeat that for you. Busy is a choice, therefore it is not an excuse. We recently celebrated Father's Day. My dad only went to school through the 8th grade. Uh, and uh, he had to quit school and help his family. get a, He had to get a job and help raise his five other siblings and so on and so forth. And so he only went to the 8th grade, but he had a lot of... Uh, conventional wisdom, if you will. He had a lot of smarts um, that some today with more degrees than a thermometer don't have. And he said this, people will find time to do what they want to do. People will find time to do what they want to do. Isn't that true? Let me ask you something. What do you want? I fully believe that some people are not free from their sin because they enjoy sin. They don't want to be free. They enjoy the sin more than the thought of being free from the sin. Again, I've said this before. Sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, it wouldn't be appealing. It wouldn't be enticing. But some people enjoy that temporary pleasure instead of the thought of being free. And what they don't realize is this. Sin is keeping you from having the life that God wants you to have that you'll find more fulfillment in than anything else you can find out there. And Satan is doing everything that he can to convince you to stay right where you're at, but God wants you to be free. He wants you to give it up. He wants you to be free from that behavior. He wants you to be free from that addiction. When you gave your life to Christ and you were baptized into him, he promised to give you his Holy Spirit. And because that spirit lives inside of you, he wants you to keep in step with that spirit. And that's the second thing we can do to overcome these sins that keep cropping up in our lives, especially those habitual ones. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You say, "Okay, great, wonderful. How do I do it? Galatians 5:25 says this since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You say, but that's hard man but it can be done if it couldn't be done, Paul wouldn't have said do it. He wouldn't have instructed us to do something that we couldn't do through the power of the Spirit and I think what it do- what we have to do where we start is by us making a choice to do things God's way and not Our way. Again, we're control freaks. It's not easy because sometimes we hear the Holy Spirit or we feel that the Holy Spirit is, is leading us to do something. We feel that God's Word is telling us to do something and it directly clashes with our flesh, with our habits, with our tendencies. And so rather than fight it, we give in. But we have to do what the Spirit is saying instead of what we are thinking. Sometimes that's hard, right? It's hard because, again, we, <laughs> we react most of the time based on what we can see. And it's hard for us to trust in a God whom we can't see, who sees things that we can't. Would you agree with me on that? And that's where our faith comes in. Do we really trust him? Do we really trust him that he knows what's best for us? Some of you remember this story. Many of you are too young. It was July 16, 1999. John F. Kennedy Jr. was killed when the plane he was flying uh, crashed into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. His wife, Carolyn Bessette, sister-in-law Lauren Bessette, they were also killed. Uh, They intended to fly the coastline of uh, Connecticut across Rhode Island Sound to his final destination of Martha's Vineyard Airport. The National Transportation Safety Board concluded that the crash was caused, and I want to read this to get it right, the pilot's failure to maintain control of his airplane during a descent over water at night, which was a result of spatial disorientation. And he said that the cause of the spatial disorientation was hazy conditions which existed on the night of the fatal crash coupled with the fact that Kennedy was insufficiently trained to fly using the instrument panel. From what I understand, especially at night, haze can lead to disorientation for pilots. There were other pilots who later said as they were flying that night, that there was no visual horizon whatsoever. While they were flying over the water, the haze was so bad you could not see the horizon Um, and it made it almost impossible to know up from down. And because of the conditions, Kennedy thought he was flying in the right direction, but instead he was flying his plane downward until he was in a death spiral, and he didn't even know it. He thought he was going up when he was, in reality, going down. Kennedy thought he was going in the right direction, even though the haze made it impossible to tell the difference between heaven and earth. He didn't rely on the instruments. He relied on his gut feeling. He relied on what felt right. And he couldn't tell the difference between heaven and earth. That's a whole nother sermon, isn't it? We trust our gut sometimes. We trust on what we understand. We trust on our thinking. But Jesus has given us an instrument panel, a guide to guide us, to navigate us through the difficulties of this life, even when this life gets really hazy, when it gets clouded with confusion. He's given us this instrument panel to help us distinguish between heaven and earth, between what's right and wrong. I love what Romans 12, 2 says. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We can't fall into the trap of copying what the world is doing. And there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, the mindset of the world is constantly changing. And number two, it's never the thoughts of God. The mindset of the world is never the mindset of God. And so we have to transform our way of thinking into God's way of thinking. And until we do that, we're never going to get it right. We're never going to know God's will for our lives. And that transformation takes place when we slow down long enough to get into God's word to talk to him. And then to listen to what his Holy Spirit is trying to tell you through his word. And sometimes through Christian counsel. And when the Spirit of God speaks to you, you need to learn to listen. And when you learn to listen, you change the way that you think. And then you're able to overcome some of these old pitfalls that just keep cropping up. That make us feel like we're no longer loved by God. Here's the third thing I think we need to do to overcome these habitual sins. And that's get rid of the wrong thinking. You say, well, how do I do that? Verse 5 and 6, those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You say, okay, well, what is wrong thinking? Well, I think wrong thinking would include such things as negative thoughts about yourself. Negative thoughts about others. Critical thoughts about others and yourself. Judgmental thoughts. Anxious thoughts. Lustful thoughts. Impure thoughts. Vengeful thoughts. And so on and so forth. We've got to get rid of those things, church. If we want the world... To take us seriously, we can't be living like they are. We got to be different. We got to stand out. We got to get out of the darkness and be light. And Paul says, "Here's how you get rid of it. Here's how you get rid of the the stinking thinking we like to call it, and start living according to God's word and His Spirit. And, and And then God will start to transform us into being more like His Son." It's in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. And here's the deal: Paul says, "You can choose what you think about. You cannot help but." Have stupid thoughts pop into your brain every once in a while. I'm the king of stupid thoughts, and sometimes they get from there to there. Can I get an amen to that? Not that I do that, but that you all do that too, right? Actually, I do do that, right? And so we've got to get rid of those. You, You can't help those that pop into your brain, but you don't have to dwell on those things, Right? Paul says in Philippians 4a, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And this is interesting. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, and he says, one last thing. And if someone is saying, one last thing, is it pretty important? Here's what he says. This is is what I want to leave you with. This is what Paul says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Your thoughts, fix them. On what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Because here's what happens. How we think shapes our mind, our will, our emotions, our character, our lives. If you think on lies, you're going to believe lies. You think dishonoring thoughts, you're going to reap dishonoring actions. You think impure thoughts, you're going to live an impure life. You think on the truth and the promise of God, you're going to begin to live in God's power. You think honoring thoughts, you can transform your marriage. You think pure thoughts, you can live free from pornography and sexual addiction. And the Proverbs tell us this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Change the way you think. Dwell on these good things. And again, you can't help the temptations that sometimes Satan throws in your brain, but you don't have to stay there. Every day, ask Jesus to reveal your wrong thinking. Help you to shape your mind through the Spirit. And over time, I think that old way of acting is going to disappear. Now, here's what I want to leave you with. Number four, learn to live in the power of the Spirit. Look at verses 12 through 14. And I think sometimes we downplay the Holy Spirit in our lives too much. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Paul tells us that we are under no obligation to do what our old life is telling us that we should do. We don't have to listen to our old life. We don't have to listen to what Satan is saying to us, what he's trying to drag us back down into. Yet there are many Christians who have not grasped this truth. We love that there is no condemnation part. We love the freedom part, and we should. It's amazing. But that's as far as a lot of people want to take it. And I want to ask you this morning... Doesn't Jesus deserve better than that from us after what he's done for us? Doesn't he deserve better than what can I do just to get by? What can I do just to get in heaven? He gave us everything. say, Ron, you don't understand. I've tried, and I've tried, and I just can't do it. You know what I say to that? You're right. You can't. But you and God together can. You and the Holy Spirit can. See, that's the problem. We're trying to do it in our own strength, in our own power. And you can't. That's why God gave us His Holy Spirit. It takes you surrendering your will to the power of the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to have control of your life. Allow God's Word, allow His Holy Spirit to be your instrument panel that guides you. Second Corinthians 3.17 as our worship team comes to lead us in a closing song. For the Lord is the Spirit and who, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is there is what? Can we say that one more time? Let's just say it like we mean it this time, all right? For the the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you want to be free? You need to surrender control of your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Maybe some of you have done that, but you've kind of slipped back into some of those old patterns. Would you implement some of the things that we've talked about? Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Him. You've never made that decision to confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and repent of your sins, and you've never been baptized into Him. That's where it starts. That's not the end. That's where it starts. Maybe that's something you need to do today. Maybe you just need to spend a little time in prayer this morning as we're singing this song. Whatever your decision is, we encourage you to make that as we sing.